I want to ask you a question first. Are you a spender or a saver? What do you think? Are you a, a cash splasher or are you a penny pincher? Do you like to, to throw money around on living life to the full right now because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Or do you meticulously plan every penny? Have you got spreadsheets? Um, do you, do you, um, you know, uh, build up your savings account and, and make sure um, you've got security um, down the line? Are you more of a spender or a saver? Um, why, why, don't we, why don't we do a little straw poll? Um, if, if, you if you don't feel comfortable sharing, that's, that's absolutely fine. But who, who, who would say they're more of a spender? A few people. And what, what about savers? Who are the savers? Okay, more, more of you. Okay. Well, here's, here's an interesting second question for you. Which would you rather be? Which, which one do you think is better? Who thinks it's better to be a spender? <laughs> We've got one. And who thinks it's better to be a saver? Okay. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I think a lot of people would, would say the same, that, that being a saver is the, the better option. Uh, may, maybe you even think it's the moral option. Um, yeah, pro probably uh, most people over the age of 21, I would say, maybe think that that is the, the better option. It seems like the responsible thing, doesn't it? Um, saving for the future and um, thinking about the, the long term rather than just uh, today. That's why apps like um, Moneybox, I don't know if you've come across that, um, are, are very popular, which like round up your spending to the next pound and, and put that into a savings account for you. That, that seems to be a really popular thing nowadays. Um, Martin Lewis and the moneysavingexpert.com website is uh, still very popular. Well, you, you'll have noticed uh, in our reading um, that, uh, that this passage is, is all about money. More specifically, it's about how the rich misuse their money um, and, and how they treat those who don't have very much. Um, now, just, just a bit of context. Most people in this society that James is writing into, or, or many people at least, would have been uh, day labourers. They went out and, and found their work for the day. They did their hours. At the end of the day, they got paid for that day. And they would have maybe just enough money to buy a meal in the evening for their family. Um, and then they'd go out and do it all again tomorrow. If they couldn't find work, they didn't eat. There was no government help. There was no uh, benefit payments, no student loans, no free school meals for the kids. But meanwhile, there were lots of very wealthy people as well, rich landowners, who would hire these labourers. And it seems, from what James is saying, that they had very little concern for the poor. This is important stuff for James, isn't it? He flags that up by saying, now listen. Did you see how it started there? Now listen. And if you've been paying attention, um, you'll, you'll know that that's how uh, last week's passage started as well. Just flick back over the page if you've got that open um, to chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, it says, now listen. Uh, and, and Ewan pointed out to us that that um, means something like, right you lot, listen up. You see, wealth is dangerous, according to James. Incredibly dangerous. Uh, and so he gives this dire warning. 
to those who are misusing their money. In fact, it's not really even a warning, is it? It's a prophecy of doom. This is heavy stuff. It's a, a pronouncement of judgment, Old Testament style. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Wealth is that dangerous. We might be looking for ways to save money, but I think James is trying to save us from money. Uh, sometimes I think in the UK we can be a little bit shy in, in talking about money, can't we? Would you agree with that? Um, Rob, was, Rob was telling me how they're, they're a bit more open about that in, in the US. Um, but, it, but it's an awkward topic for us, isn't it? It's an awkward topic for me. Uh, um, I, I feel that. It feels kind of personal. I, I, d I don't know all your situations. Some of you might be thinking as well, well I, I'm not rich. This, this doesn't apply to me. And, and none of us certainly are, are part of the wealthy elite. And, you know, would we be living in Rotherham if we were? Um, most of us are not landowners. Most of us are not employers. We can think of loads of people we know who are richer than us, right? And some of you are, are struggling to make ends meet yourself. And, and you're worried about the future as bills continue to rise. So I don't want to uh, dismiss those difficulties at all. Um, and please do speak uh, to one of the leaders if you need help. But if we want to follow Jesus in all of life, that's our serious subtitle, isn't it? Following Jesus in all of life. If we want to follow Jesus in all of life, then that is going to affect our wallets. Here's a couple of reasons why uh, these verses, I think, are relevant to all of us. Um, one, I think James's warning encourages us not to see wealth as a desirable thing. It's not the solution to our problems. It's not, uh, it's not something to be jealous of. It's not always sunny in the rich man's world to contradict Abba. Uh, and two, the attitudes on display in these rich people are, are ones that any of us can be guilty of to some degree, I think. Whether we're a spender or a saver, whether we're rich or not. Maybe they don't play out as, as kind of obviously as they might have done in first century Jerusalem, but I think they can be there lurking in the background. Now, I've described uh, the person who has these attitudes um, as a grabber. Um, I think looking at the translations, that hasn't translated very well into uh, Farsi or French or, um, uh, or Portuguese. Um, so forgive me for that, but um, hopefully you'll, you'll kind of get the picture. But this, this is the, the real danger. Not whether I'm a, a spender or a saver. Not, not even really how much money I have. Um, although I, th I think the more that, more that we have, the more we're in danger. But whether I'm a grabber or the opposite to that, which we might call a giver. So uh, first we're going we're to uh, dig into this passage and have a look at this picture that James paints of the grabber. What their attitudes to money are. Um, and where that's leading them. So that's, that's like the negative side of it. And then we'll flip it over and try to figure out positively what a giver looks like. Okay, so grabbers first then. What does a grabber look like? Um, I, I've got five things here, four really quick ones, and then something uh, at the end that we'll just spend a little bit more time on. 
So first, a grabber has a tight grip on their money. And um, Look down with me at the last sentence of verse 3. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Uh, we'll come to that, that last days bit later on. Uh, but we know when it means to hoard, don't we? These rich folk um, are, are raking it in. They've got piles of money. Maybe they can go uh, swimming in it like Scrooge McDuck. Um, I did have a little picture, but he's, he's not there. That's fine. Um, but I don't know if you can, you can remember that cartoon from being younger, Scrooge McDuck. He was the nephew of Donald Duck. He had loads of money, and there's a famous scene where he sort of jumps into his uh, pile of, of money and kind of is swimming around in it. Anyway, you, you, you can picture it if you, if you don't remember it. Um, money, money comes in, and it rarely goes out. Um, we, we have a few words, don't we? Uh, to describe someone like this in English, um, tight-fisted, or, or maybe just tight, uh, stingy, miserly, uh, parsimonious, had to look that one up, that's from the thesaurus. Um, uh, I guess there are probably similar words in, in uh, your own languages, uh, you, can, you can tell me later if that's true. Um, but no one else gets to see a grabber's money, they, they hoard it, there's a sense of entitlement to it. It's my money, I earned it, you can't have it. They count the zeros on their, their bank balance um, while the people around them barely have a couple of coppers to rub together. They see the hungry beggar and they craft a narrative which tells them that they deserve to be there and that they don't deserve any help. They're unwilling to share with those in immediate needs uh, because of hypothetical future needs. They're kind of uh, extreme savers, you could say. So that's the first thing. Uh, second, a grabber doesn't pay what they owe. Look at verse 4. The wages you fail to pay the workers who merge your fields are crying out against you. They've not paid the workers' wages. Uh, maybe they've not paid anything or maybe they've just underpaid probably more likely they've they've just underpaid you know if you don't pay your workers anything they're not going to come back tomorrow um but if you paid something you know um you might be able to feed one of your children the attitude here is is essentially what can i get away with paying what is the bare minimum i can hand over from my hoard so that there won't be serious consequences for me how, the, how that affects other people isn't, isn't my concern, as long as I've not spent more than I absolutely have to. Uh, number three, a grabber spends liberally on themselves. Verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. The grabbers uh, live lives of ease and extravagance. They want, they want the biggest and the best of everything the biggest house, the, the finest clothes, and um, you know, fine dining. They're always looking for the next thing they can spend big on, the next thing they think will make life easier or, or make them happier. And, and they firmly believe that, that money can buy happiness. They might not have found the thing that actually gets them that happiness yet, but they believe that it exists and that money will get them it. This, this is more than just having hobbies and holidays. They, you know, they're adding another wing 
to their mansion while there's a guy at the gates who's exposed all night in the cold. They see every pay rise, every bonus as an opportunity to increase their spending on themselves, to, to, to you know, raise their standard of living. Notice those uh, two words in verse 5, on earth as well. They'll be important later, far away. Uh, just as a, a little aside as well, did you notice how both savers and spenders can be grabbers? These rich people are both hoarding and indulging. Maybe, I, I don't know, is this two, is James writing to two different kinds of people or same people in two different moods or, yeah, or have they just got so much money that they can do both things? Um, but yeah, there are, there are grabbers at, at both ends of that spectrum, savers and spenders. Okay, fourth thing then, um, a grabber uses their wealth to harm others. Verse six, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now, I don't, I, I don't know whether the rich are, are they causing people to die by withholding their money? You know, think tiny Tim Cratchit from the Christmas Carol. Or are they using their wealth and status and power to kind of, uh, you know, actively uh, get people killed? Um, we don't really know. But either way, there is great harm being done to the poor by the rich. And because they have money, well, they can get away with it. They can slip a bribe or whatever. They've got no concern for others' well-being. Uh, one author describes it as being willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Um, so there's, there's the first uh, four things. Let me just um, run through those again as they're on the screen. So a grabber has a tight grip on their money. Uh, they don't pay what they owe. They spend liberally on themselves and they use their wealth to harm others. Uh, fifth then, and, and this is where we really get to the heart, I think, of what James is saying. So we'll spend a bit longer here. A grabber doesn't understand the times. You remember verse three, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. What does that mean? I, I, I think there's a hint of mockery here from James. He, he's like, how dumb can you get? Hoarding wealth in the last days, that's a stupid thing to do. If they really understood the times, they'd use their money so differently. Let's unpack that a little bit then. Uh, well, you, you might be wondering, first of all, what are the last days? Well, that's the way the New Testament speaks um, about the time between Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago when he came as saviour and his second coming sometime in the future when he will come as judge and king and usher in a new creation. That, that whole period of history between Jesus' first and second comings is the last days. James wrote his letter in the last days and you might have figured out that we are also living in the last days. Time is running out on this creation. The clock is ticking. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We don't know if that'll be tomorrow. We don't know if that'll be in a thousand years time. But we know it's coming. And when it comes, all that wealth that is stored up will be completely worthless. Did you see that? Uh, let's um, go back to verses two and three. Your wealth has rotted. 
and moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. We don't stockpile perishable goods, do we? No one goes down to Asda and, you know, gets six months worth of milk to go and store up at home. In a couple of weeks, it's, you know, it's going to be worth nothing. It's going to be worthless. But if we're in the last days, then everything is perishable. Everything has an expiry date. When Jesus returns, James says, even the money in our bank accounts will be rotten, mouldy, useless. If we think gold will save us, you know, gold famously non-corroding, well, even that will corrode. None of our earthly treasure will survive. Did you notice as well that James uses the present tense? He doesn't say your wealth will rot, but your wealth has rotted. I think he's vividly describing the future as if it's now, so that when they're checking their bank balance, they get that whiff of mould that tells them this is not going to last. Everything that seems valuable on earth, remember that phrase, will be revealed to be a bad investment. It's all going to fade away into nothing. But actually, it's even worse than that, isn't it? On that day, they won't just lose their wealth, but they'll face judgment for the way they've used it or or misused it. Let's pick back up in verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. When these rich people stand before Jesus, the judge, uh, their wealth itself will turn on them. Not just as evidence, but actually as a witness for the prosecution. Rather than saving them, their wealth will condemn them to death. Maybe we should think, you know, if, if... if our money was called as a witness to us, what would it say? The poor workers as well, they've been crying out, haven't they? And their voices have been heard by God, the Lord who commands armies of angels, and he will bring justice. James has got some really uh, kind of dramatic metaphors, hasn't he? Here's another one. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Can you picture that? The rich person is like a cow, happily munching away, having a great time, thinking this is the life. When what's really going on is that she's making herself ready to be killed and eaten. Grabbers don't understand the times they seek pleasure on earth they look for freedom and security on earth they pursue riches by oppressing the poor on earth thinking there are no consequences but they do it all in the last days when god's kingdom of justice and righteousness is right around the corner 
I think James is, is channeling Jesus, who said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. This is bad news for anyone who is living as if riches on earth is what matters most. We've spent a long time on the negative there, I know, but I, but I really want us to feel the danger that James is saying, you know, is, is warning us of. This is no small thing. How we use our money has serious consequences. If we live as grabbers, hoarding our wealth, living in luxury and self-indulgence on earth, then that's all we'll get. If we really want freedom, security, happiness that lasts, we should hoard the kind of treasure that lasts. Jesus again, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, how do we store up treasure in heaven? We do that by being givers. This is the opposite of being a grabber. And being a giver must begin with knowing the one who gave up everything for us. Jesus had it all, didn't he? He was the very son of God. But instead of selfishly hoarding his riches, he made himself poor for our sake, giving his life for ours. You know, you know the gospel. You know that you can't buy a place in heaven with, with your money. That has been bought for us by God at great cost. But knowing God's grace in Jesus is, is the only thing that is going to motivate us um, and, and change our hearts. Let me give you two examples, uh, two quick examples from the New Testament. The first one's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Um, and it's a story about a man called Zacchaeus. Uh, you might know this. A man was um, in Jericho, where Jesus was, by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you see how Zacchaeus was a, a, a typical grabber? He was a tax collector who had more than likely exploited the poor, taking more than he should so he could keep some for himself. He was wealthy. He'd taken what wasn't his. And Jesus knew this, didn't he? He knew that he was a sinner and he went, he went to his house anyway and gave him the offer of forgiveness. And what does Zacchaeus do? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus responds to that wonderful offer of grace from Jesus um, by, by becoming incredibly generous himself. In an instant, his heart is changed and he becomes a giver. Uh, second example is from the book of Acts. So after Jesus has ascended to heaven um, and the church is just kind of in its infancy, um, the apostle Peter preaches to the crowd and tells them about this free offer of forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Many people believe it, they get baptised. Uh, and then it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this is not just an individual, but a whole community which is transformed uh, by knowing the lavish grace of God in Jesus. Those who had much shared with those who had little so that no one was needy. It was a community of givers. Uh, we're going to think really briefly just about a few practical ways that we can be givers um, rather than grabbers. But it, but it is crucial that we understand that this is the, the starting point. It has to start with our hearts being changed by knowing Jesus' grace. That's the only way we're ever going to sustain being a giver. With that said, um, let's, let's reverse that negative picture of a grabber and figure out what a giver looks like. So first, if you're a giver, you have a loose grip on your money, not a tight grip. Not that you give everything away, but any extra you have is available when people are in need. Givers might still have uh, savings and, and a pension. Uh, that There's no point in becoming uh, the one who needs other people's help um, and dependent on others. But, but you're willing to take risks, willing for life to be a bit more messy and uncertain for the sake of others. So you have a loose grip on your money. Second, if you're a giver, you pay everyone what they're owed and maybe more. And you, know, you don't make people chase you for payment. You don't look for loopholes into paying less than what you should. Uh, you, you don't complain just to get free stuff. You're always wondering how you can be generous to other people. Third, uh, a giver spends with purpose. Not just because you can, but because you've got a goal. When you get a pay rise, you don't automatically stretch your uh, lifestyle and your budget to match your new salary. But you think of who you could help with this extra money. It's not that you don't spend on leisure and hobbies and, and holidays, but you spend as much as you need to be well rested. Instead of asking, uh, how can I spend all of my money on me? You might ask, what's the least I could spend to maximize my giving? Uh, some people will be able to cope with, with lower standards of living than others, and that's okay. It's not a, a comparison game, just to be clear on that. And fourthly, and finally then, a giver uses their wealth to benefit others. Uh, this might mean uh, giving your time to engage in the community, find out what the needs are, and help others. On a bigger scale, it might mean finding out where your stuff comes from. One of the realities of our complex global systems is that we don't know who grows our food. Um, we, we never meet them. They're not in our community, but they're on the other side of the world. 
the reality of their lives is, is hidden from us. And maybe sometimes we, we don't really want to look because we have an idea of what we might find there. Millions of people in the world today produce our cheap food and clothes are in slavery or extreme poverty. Uh, just to give one uh, statistic, in the Ivory Coast, for example, the average cocoa grower lives on the equivalent of 74 pence a day, barely enough to get by. When we buy cheap stuff, are we, are we buying into and holding up uh, systems um, and companies which harm others? Our chocolate, our coffee, our clothes. A giver is willing to pay more to make sure that people are paid fairly. A giver invests the resources at their disposal in bringing, bringing justice and lifting people out of poverty. And if we're going to invest in lifting people out of financial poverty, then surely we will also invest in lifting people out of spiritual poverty as well by funding gospel ministry. So those are our those are our four things. Let me um, let me just give you those again. A giver has a loose grip on their money, uh, pays everyone while they're owed, spends with purpose, and uses their wealth to benefit others. That might sound like a lot. You might be struggling in the in the heat now. <laughs> We've been going for half an hour, but we're we're just about done. And um, yeah, especially if you've not thought through be- how being a Christian affects your spending. That might, that might feel like a lot to take in. And I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. Um, and again, if you, if you are someone who's struggling, you know, uh, please ask for help. Talk to us. But maybe there, there's one of those things that, that particularly struck a chord with you, where you might start to change how you see your money, how you use your money. And if you're trusting in Christ and relying on his grace, then he will be transforming you from a grabber into a generous giver. And I do see evidence of that happening at REC. Um, Hannah was just telling me this week um, that there are always ladies uh, giving their stuff away to those who need it and can't afford it. A couple of years ago, we started a benevolence fund because people had started to give us money to help those in need. Um, so, we, yeah, we started that up. Um, for those who would be hit hard by the, the pandemic. Isn't that great? That's, that's having a loose grip on your money. That's being a giver. And I pray that more and more we would be being transformed into a community of givers who live in full knowledge that we're in the last days, who are known for their generosity, who are investing in the treasure that lasts Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the incredible grace, the incredible riches that you have lavished on us in Christ Jesus at great cost to you. Lord, you are the the ultimate giver. And Lord, we pray that, um, yeah, as as we uh, contemplate this this passage, you would uh, reveal to us areas of our heart where we we are more grabber than giver. And we pray that you'd be transforming each of us uh, individually and as a community, Lord, to be uh, generous givers. Um, Yeah, who share your grace with others. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.